Welcome to Liquor and Liqueur Connoisseur, where I drink, discuss, and discover the world of distilled spirits. I'm your host, Matt Burchard. This is episode 73, and I'm drinking the classic Lottie from Brook Lottie. With each episode of Liquor in the Core Connoisseur, you should expect that I'll be well-researched and educational, also entertaining and consistent in my reviews. So why did I choose the Classic Lottie for this episode? To be honest, it was the packaging. It's in a beautiful tin that looks for all the world to be Tiffany blue. It's described as aquamarine, but what I do know is it's a standout on the shelf of Scotch whiskey. And the name is fun. The distillery in current form is innovative, and the classic Lottie has its origins in bucking norms. Oh, and it's a Gaelic name too, and if you don't speak Gaelic and have never heard the distillery name pronounced, you'll completely butcher it if you're an English speaker. Ah, language adds to the mystique. You feel kind of special saying Brook Lottie. Plus, I need to get into whiskey more, in particular scotch. There's so much depth of flavor and nuance in this category of spirit, and there's also a lot of connoisseurship. To be honest, I find it a bit of a double-edged sword. I'm at times afraid I won't do justice to a stored spirit, for those truly in the know, but then again, venturing deeper into the world of whiskey provides fertile fields for doing what this podcast is all about, exploring the world of distilled spirits and drinking more. So the bottle I have for the tasting is the Classic Lottie. It is 750 milliliters. It is bottled at 50% alcohol by volume, making it a round 100 proof. And it retails at $60 US. The Classic Lottie is a Scotch whiskey, and therefore they skip the E in the spelling of whiskey. Scottish folks tend to view the E as vestigial. And in keeping with modern tradition, the bottle is in a cylinder. Most scotch whiskey is now sold in a tube or box. Originally, this was done just to keep the spirit out of sunlight and thus ensure the flavors didn't change much during storage. But honestly, nowadays, scotch is boxed or tubed just to give it an air of luxury. Check your local liquor store shelves. Almost all spirits are sold in naked bottles, unboxed, save for the scotch. The scotch is just a wall of boxes and tubes. It's a lot of packaging, to be honest. But I digress. The color is what caught my eye. It's the brand color for the new Brookladi distillery, the aforementioned Tiffany Blue, which apparently is actually aquamarine. It was selected because it evoked the way the ocean looked on sunny days. The text on the tube is in all white with large letters embossed. It is a metal tube. Some text, including Scottish barley, is in the underlying metallic silver color, showing a lack of ink in these places. A notable detail on the tube are the four columns of verbose text. It's a holdover from the man who breathed new life into the distillery. I'll admit, though, it's good text, and if you'll indulge me, I'll read it in full for you here. The heart and soul of Brook Lottie. Provenance, authenticity, traceability. This is what we stand for. Built in 1881 by the Harvey brothers, Brook Lottie was radically avant-garde, conceptually brilliant, and meticulously implemented. By glorious chance, the peerless Victorian equipment has survived almost intact, offering us a unique opportunity to create our artisanal, handcrafted single malts. If we are to make the best whiskey, we must start with the best ingredients. 
Our barley varieties are grown in Scotland, always. This is no mere commodity. It is our lifeblood. Our farmers are our partners, not suppliers. They tell us about the soil, the drainage, the wind, the aspect, the microclimate of every field. We believe that Isla whiskey should have an authenticity derived from where it is distilled and where it is matured. From the philosophies of those who distill it, a sense of place, of terroir, that speaks of the land, the barley, and water from which it is made, and of the human soul that gave it life. Our aim is to create a product of flawless integrity and the most thought-provoking whiskey possible. Okay, now let's open the tin and get to the bottle inside. The bottle is held in place by a clever plastic ring at the bottom that keeps it suspended and centered, not knocking about in the can. It kind of pops out. The bottle itself is simple in shape, a uniform cylinder up to the shoulder that radiuses to a short neck. A silver foil seal holds in the stopper. The bottle is glass, but colored and painted, I think. The same as the tin, it's the aquamarine color, and the text is all white. Full name, as it would appear on the bottle, is the Classic Lottie Scottish Barley Unpeated Isla Single Malt Scotch Whiskey. There's a lot to unpack just in the name. We'll skip to the middle and start with unpeated. Scotch whiskey traditionally is made with malted barley, grain that has been sprouted to begin the process of conversion of starches to sugars, but then for use in distilling, the whiskey makers have to halt germination. They did this through heat, and predominant fuel source for the fires in the malting process was peat. Peat is partially decomposed organic matter. Think of it like a halfway step to coal. It's piled up all over Scotland in really thick layers, meters deep, in boggy areas. It can be cut from the ground in slabs or chunks, and once dried out, it can burn very well. So whiskey distillers in Scotland used peat, and the peat smoke would impart a smoky flavor to the whiskey. It's still used in many Scotch whiskies today. It's part of the character of Scotch to be smoky, but peat is not required and can be off-putting to some drinkers. So it seems was the case with Brooklotti, the peat was removed in the 1960s in an effort to appeal to more markets like the Americas. The classic Lottie is peat-free. Okay, up next in the name is Isla. Isla is an island, or an isle, as the Scotch refer to it. Isla is one of the five primary Scotch regions, along with the Highlands, Lowlands, Campbelltown, and Speyside. Traditionally, each region had its own style, so Isla helps define place and perhaps taste, but this is less true today than it once was. Some of the most heavily peated whiskies can come from Isla. Up next is single malt in the name. This term simply means that all the whiskey originates from one distillery. It's all one malt. You can refer back to the bit about peat for malting. And then we wrap it up with Scotch whiskey. There's actually a legal definition to this taken together with single malt. So single malt Scotch whiskey must be made in Scotland, exclusively from malted barley, must be distilled using pot stills at a single distillery, and must be aged for at least three years in oak casks of a capacity not exceeding 700 liters. Oh my gosh, let's get to drinking. See what I mean about scotch being a bit of a double-edged sword? I'm already way into this episode and I haven't even opened the bottle. So let's get to it. Here we go. It's got a little strip. Oh, come on now. I ruined it. 
Okay, I got the foil taken care of. Let's go for a pop. Oh, underwhelming, but it popped. It's got a natural cork stopper and let's go for a pour. As with all spirits on this podcast, I am tasting it neat, which is undiluted at room temperature right out of the bottle. And I'm using a clean Glencairn glass for it. It is a whiskey nosing glass. This being whiskey, it's ideally suited for it. In the glass, it's a golden amber color, light yellow, perhaps. It is 50% ABV, so it's 100 proof. So it's rather potent, stronger than most vodka. Let's see how it is on the nose. You can smell the heat. You can feel the heat from the ethanol. The key with a Glencairn or any nosing glass really is to kind of get low and allow some space at the top of the glass above your nose to let some of the more strong ethanol vapors evaporate and get past you. Smells of whiskey. Some bright notes in there. No smoke, which is nice. I'm not a big peat fan. This is unpeated, so I wouldn't expect it. But as scotch, you kind of expect peat, even when you know it's an unpeated version. But no smoke to it. I get clean orchard fruits a little bit. Nondescript, bright, crisp apple or pear, but not sweet. It's good. Smells of whiskey, it's really the barley is what you're smelling. And then there's a real combination of casks that the classic Lottie is aged in. So it can be any number of nuance. There could be some picking up some of the vanilla from oak, but they also may be aging this in a variety of wine casks. So there could be some grape flavors coming through. It's really difficult to describe. It is quite pleasant. I might almost describe it as floral but not sweet. All right, enough on the nose. Let's try it on the palate. Here we go. Oh, that's good. As my taste buds wake up to the punch of 100 proof spirit. There's a really uh, a sweetness to it. I get an astringency on the side of my tongue, which is pleasant, flavorful, there's some flavors of spice, maybe a nutmeg to it. I get the flavors of wood, but it's a bright sweetness without being sweet. Maybe a toffee. I just keep thinking of orchards for some reason, but it's not fruity. That would be a misrepresentation. It tastes of whiskey, but with complexity and nuance. Every time I try to describe flavor, I lack the vocabulary to really capture the dance of flavor images that go across your palate, but it's quite good. I keep getting a sense of numbing or a little antiseptic-ness to it. It's not just the proof. I've had high proof spirits before. They don't give me this feeling, but the classic Lottie here has got an experience I've had with other scotch where you get a little numbing. My lips and my gums have a dull numb effect to them. It's not unpleasant, but it's noticeable. One more taste.
Yeah, after a few sips of this, I've probably consumed half the pour at this point. It's quite good. I don't know why I keep thinking of orchards, but that's the the sense I get. It is all grain. There's no fruit in this, but maybe it's a lingering effect of one of the casks it's aged in. No matter. It's quite good. It's mellow is maybe a way to describe it with the tingly burn. Now on to the history. Okay, let's start at the beginning, I suppose. But honestly, I'm going to skim over the early years. What's in the bottle and my glass doesn't share much with the early history of the distillery, save for the equipment, place, local ingredients. Okay, so yeah, there's quite a bit connecting it. But the brand came to life again only a few decades ago, so I'll run through the early years rather quickly to get to the good stuff. Brookladdy is Gaelic for raised beach. And Brookladdy was founded in 1881 by the Harvey Brothers. This was listed on the tin, as I read you the text there. The Harvey Brothers, however, also owned grain distilleries in Glasgow, and they had hoped to combine production and leverage this into a blending and bottling business. It didn't work out, though. However, at the time the distillery was built, it was one of the most modern and largest on the island. Production stopped prior to the First World War and remained mothballed through the war before being restarted. The distillery changed hands several times, and in 1937, a speculator bought the distillery and turned a handsome profit by flipping it to a consortium that he also had an interest in. He nearly tripled his investment. The distillery was refurbished in 1938, but World War II shut it down again. Post-war, the distillery changed hands a few more times as larger owners bought and sold it, eventually ending up in the hands of White and McKay, a fairly prominent player in the business in 1993. But just two years later, in 1995, they'd shut the distillery down and mothball it again until its savior came in. So let's back up to 1989 and pick up the story there. This is when a man named Marc Renier first visited Brooklady. The distillery was still open at the time, and he was on vacation from London and had hoped for a tour of the distillery, expecting a welcome like he was used to at a winery. Renier was a third-generation wine merchant and had fallen in love with Brooklady whiskey for many of the reasons he loved wine. But the distillery was closed, still open for production, but closed to visitors. And a plant worker that Renier saw told him to F off. This was not the welcome he was after. Yet, after being dejected, upon returning home, he resolved to solve the problem by buying the distillery. A bold move, especially since the place wasn't for sale. But he wrote to the company once a year and asked to buy it. Every year, he was told it was not for sale. Even in the early 1990s, when it was mothballed, he was still unable to buy it. That was until the new millennium, when in 2000, the distillery had come under the ownership of Jim Beam Brands. And Renier's persistence paid off when Jim Beam agreed to sell Brooklady to him. Apparently not independently wealthy, or if he was, he hedged his bets, Marc Renier assembled a group of 50 investors who purchased Brooklady for a little over 6 million British pounds. Renier became CEO. Renier bucked the trends and traditions of Scotch whiskey by shunning the overtly Scottish themes other brands portrayed. The new Brooklady was described as cheeky and poked fun at the brands for their tartan and bagpipes personas. Part of this was probably influenced by the fact that Renier was mostly an outsider to the whiskey business coming from the wine business. 
He had founded an independent bottling company though, and this is a business that buys up oftentimes orphaned casks of whiskey and then bottles and sells them themselves, sometimes rematuring in different casks. A large independent bottler in the Scotch whiskey space is the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, or SMWS. Everything's a rare release from an independent bottler. But back to Brook Lottie. Renier and his investors, new to them distillery, had been mothballed for seven years when they finally got the keys. Scotch whiskey takes time, all brown spirits do, ages what builds character and imparts flavor, but the time requirement is why most startup distilleries first sell white spirits, like vodka or rum, that are ready for the bottle as soon as they come off the still. Scotch whiskey by law has to be at least three years old before sale and typically isn't sold younger than eight or ten years, often much older. Scotland has a climate that has set the world's expectations for whiskey aging, and the whiskey makers themselves have fallen into equating age with quality and price. The older it is, the better and the more expensive. But other parts of the world make excellent whiskey as well, and their climates accelerate aging when compared to Scotland or Ireland. Just give episode 56 on Rampur, Indian single malt whiskey, a listen for details. Anyway, back in 2000, Mark Renier needed production and time to have a product ready for sale. He did acquire some aging stock in the transaction, but because the last product was put in barrel seven years prior, he was about three years out from a seven-year gap to fill. Renier also needed a distiller and found one in a whiskey celebrity of sorts, a man named Jim McEwen, who was a few years away from retirement and had spent his entire career at Balmore, a distillery just across the way from Brooklady. I don't know how Renier convinced McEwen to join him, but he did. McEwen was quoted as saying in effect that he took pity on Renier and the Outcast Distillery. Renier and McEwen eschewed age statements and went for ways to make younger whiskey tasty and sell for older whiskey prices. In 2006, the distillery started releasing various limited editions, taking a page perhaps from Renier's independent bottling experience. They launched the Port Charlotte brand and then the Octomore brand, both distinct expressions of Isla whiskey and strong brands in their own right. But the problem of limited stock and the need to age persisted. So much so that Brooklotti took a very unconventional step and released a gin brand in 2009, the Botanist Gin. I'll need to cover that on a future episode as well as Port Charlotte and Octomore. It was after the Botanist Gin was launched that the classic Lottie came to be. It's a mix-and-match, non-age statement, single malt. Remember, single malt just means all the whiskey has to come from the same distillery, but it's not to be confused with single barrel. Think of it like an internal or house blend of different barrels produced at different times. This is actually how most whiskey is produced, and the role of the master blender, who selects which barrel is ready and which has the right flavor, can hardly be overstated. The classic Lottie, however, breaks the mold for me and the industry. With most distilled spirits, the brand strives for consistency. Consistency in inputs and the process in an effort to remove the variance inherent in agricultural products. This is particularly true of big blends like Johnny Walker, the most popular Scotch whiskey on the market. But the classic Lottie varies. Brook Lottie has this to say about the spirit on their website. 
The foundation of our classic Lottie is not a recipe set in stone, but a distilling philosophy. We have no interest in consistency or uniformity. Instead, year by year, the variety and provenance of our barley shapes our spirit, and an ever-increasing range of casks are sourced to evolve the suite of flavors in our warehouse. Each batch of the classic Lottie will, by nature, be unique and subtly different, but it is ultimately our head distiller who curates the assemblage of our finest spirits to showcase the classic, floral, and elegant Brook Lottie house style. I think that pretty much sums it up. In 2012, Remy Quantro purchased Brook Lottie for 58 million pounds, around 92 million US dollars at the time. A nice return on investment for the investors who just a dozen years prior put up about 6 million pounds to buy the distillery. However, of the eight board members of Brook Lottie at the time, only one voted against the sale, Marc Renier. He was ousted after the sale. Remy Cointreau invested in the distillery, upgrading while retaining the original equipment and character. They increased production, added a fifth still. In 2019, they purchased 30 acres of nearby farmland for barley trials and sustainable farming practices. And they've also unveiled plans to do their own malting on Isla. Malting was done off-site, and this is a fairly common practice in the industry. So the classic Lottie I'm enjoying today will not be the same for you, but... It is what the distillery intends it to be, simply the classic Lottie. So now, on to how it's made. It's a pretty straightforward Scotch whiskey production process. Scottish barley is malted, meaning it's soaked in warm water to get it to germinate, beginning the conversion of starch to sugar through enzyme production. It's these enzymes that create part of the magic. Hot air dries the barley and kills it, stopping germination. Again, Brook Lottie for their classic Lottie is not using peat as a fuel and heat source, and there's no peat smoke imbuing the malt. This malted barley is then mixed with water from Brook Lottie Lock, just up the hill from the distillery, into a huge cast iron mash tun that is also heated. The heat and the enzymes finish the conversion of starches to sugars. This is then referred to as a wort. The wort is transferred to wooden fermentation vessels where yeast is added, and once the yeast has done its thing, you're left with what is now called a wash. And the wash is about 7% alcohol by volume. The wash is then piped to the stillhouse. The classic Lottie is distilled using old, distinctively tall, they're about two stories, narrow pot stills, the oldest of which dates to 1881, when the distillery was first built. The wash is distilled once into a low wine of about 40% ABV. Then the low wine is distilled again into a clear spirit, or raw whiskey, at between 65 and 70% ABV. This twice-distilled spirit is then aged in a wide variety of used oak barrels. Many ex-bourbon barrels from the U.S. are used, but also a range of wine barrels as well. This variety of wood and their residual flavors is part of what makes the classic Lottie possible. Because the new spirit is about 70% ABV, a decent amount of congeners or various chemical compounds that are not ethanol are present. These are what ultimately give the spirit most of its flavor. It's rather impure compared to vodka that's distilled to near purity, being ethanol only. Whiskey has more in it. And then add in the range of aging vessels, and there's complexity inherent. 
The classic Lottie is also unchill filtered. In the whiskey business, the practice of chill filtering is often debated. This is a process where the spirit is chilled to a very low temperature and then some of the oils present are filtered out. These oils are what can create cloudiness when mixed with water. Never to as much dramatic effect as with absinthe or ouzo, but the principle is much the same. Removing the oils through chill filtration is often done to make the spirit more pleasing to the novice consumer should they add ice to a drink. Purists prefer the oils left in. The debate on the process centers around the fact that you're not supposed to be able to taste the difference. But with the hunt for nuance and flavor, in my opinion, they're probably best left in. The classic Lottie skips this unnecessary step. You shouldn't add ice anyway. Also, while the legal regulations will allow for caramel color to be added to a single malt, the classic Lottie is coloring free. It's all natural from the wood it's matured in. To bring the aged whiskey down to bottling proof, Brook Lottie uses spring water from a local spring. Bottling is done on site, and then it's shipped out to enthusiasts around the world. And now for cocktails and consumption. Cocktails are not part of the mix. This is a single malt scotch whiskey. You drink it neat. That is how you drink it in a Glencairn, a nice glass. You pour it right out of the bottle. If you like, it is allowable to add a few drops of water, a little bit of water that will allow it to open up. And opening up is just a way to explain a little bit of that spontaneous emulsification that we know when the oils release out of the bonds with the ethanol. Uh, and so you do get some other flavor profiles, some notes on the nose and on the palate if you add some water. But do not add ice. You do not mix this. You drink it the way the distiller intended. So in summary, what do I think of the classic Lottie? I'll admit, it's good. It's a nice scotch to have in my collection. It's different than a lot of the bitter liqueurs that I like, or the sweeter liqueurs, or even just the pure spirits like vodkas that are not really all that flavorful. I mean, they have flavor, but a scotch whiskey, especially a single malt, there's nuance, there's depth to this. And I can understand why some people just get in the lane of I'm a whiskey drinker and all I drink is whiskey. There is so much whiskey out there and with expressions that vary with even just, you could be the classic Lottie drinker and year over year, the classic Lottie is going to change. So I can appreciate the level of connoisseurship of purely whiskey. I'll say I love the color too. This really is a standout. Aquamarine, I don't know. I call it Tiffany Blue. It's beautiful. It's a fully painted bottle as far as I can tell. It's thick color on clear glass. That's quite neat. You also get a metal tin. That's nice. It'll be recycled eventually, or maybe it'll keep it. I don't know. Remy Quantra owns it. They're a good company. They've brought investment, wider distribution to the brand. Though Mark Renier kind of resurrected the brand and voted against uh, selling out to Remy Martin, he definitely made money on the deal and gained a little fame. Yeah, I think the Classic Lottie is a good bottle to add to your liquor cabinet if you want to have a nice single malt scotch. Being unpeated, it's less offensive to some people if you want to offer them a single malt scotch. Peat can be rather pungent for some people, I suppose, is a way to put it. It's an acquired taste. Those that love peat really love peat. Anyway, uh, it's a great blue bottle. It'll have some nice conversation around it if you have friends that don't drink. So that's going to do it for this episode of Liquor and Liqueur Connoisseur. I'm your host, Matt Burchard. 
Please subscribe and share. I really do like gaining listeners from all around the world. Show notes are on liquorinthecoreconnoisseur.com. You can also find this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Ask Alexa, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, I strive to be there. The show is also on social media. Instagram is where I'm most active with Facebook second. I love hearing from my listeners, so if you have a favorite spirit you'd like me to feature, or if you're brand and you think you have a spirit with a story to tell, please do get in touch. And as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>